now listening to the Black Don't Crack podcast. My name is Logic. And my name is Queen. Join us as we celebrate Black Canadian culture, resilience, and each other. Black Don't Crack. Welcome to the very first episode. We are excited to highlight various intersections of the Black experience right here in Toronto. Yeah, man, we have a very special guest with us today, Gemini Award-winning actor Umpo Kawaho. You've seen him in Four Brothers with Tyrese, Mark Wahlberg, Andre 3000. I know you've seen 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying. Remember Junebug? Well, we're going to get into some black excellence and more coming right up. heard a hot 16 bars courtesy of Jaden Finch's finest Miss Lola Buns off her single entitled Shiesty. Make sure you go check a link in our bio at Black Don't Crack TO. But before we get into our featured interview, we're going to hit you up with some little known history with our quick black facts. This is a quick black fact so that the presence of our people are documented and shown. Let the people know. This is a quick black fact. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Femi Lassen, fine boy, no pimples, just dimples, just dimples, tantalization nation. This is your quick black fact. Kathy Williams was the one and only female Buffalo soldier posing as a man named William Cathay to enlist in the 38th Infantry in 1866. She served for two years before a doctor discovered that she was a woman leading to her discharge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your quick black fact. Let the people know this is a quick black fact. Yes, Black Don't Crack podcast. Black Don't Crack. Yes, yo, yo. we got a very, very special guest, man. A brother of mine for many years. One of the original SFA fans. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Black Don't Crack. My name is Wim Paul. Oh, oh. uh, I, 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 man, I don't even know where to begin. Logic, I'm just so happy with everything you guys are doing now, man. Yo, yeah, man, it's Thank a pleasure, you. pleasure to have you on here. Cause I know yes. like, you're like a, a busy guy, um, doing a lot Brad. within like the film industry as like a Black Canadian. I know we've had you know many conversations on on those experiences, and yeah, I'm, I, I really want to um, give some of our listeners some some insight. You know what I mean? So before we get into it too deep, man, um, you know, let, let's take it back to like the beginning, man. Like I, I want to talk about one of your first major film appearances. You know, you had the opportunity to work with with the late Maya Angelou. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to know, like, what that experience was like, you know, and how that came about. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, the most beautiful memories come to mind when I think of that experience. That was the very first 
um, project that I ever booked. Mm-hmm. So very, very, very first project, whether it was film or television. So wow. it was very impactful for me, very impactful for me. I was 14 years old. Wow. I remember walking into the audition one day. And at that time, my mother and I had been very immersed in Maya Angelou's writings. Uh, we were listening to a lot of her audio books at the time. She was very much part of our lexicon, very much part of our lives. So when I walked into that audition, as young as I was, and as much as I did not know the extent of this woman, it was quite, it, it, was, it was quite a shock to be standing before the person we had been listening to on the cassette tapes for so long. Having been familiar with, with Maya Angelou's uh, writings and, and listening to her audiobooks as much as my mother and I were at the time, walking into that audition was, was very surreal. And then on top of my, you know, my stunned reaction to meeting such, such grandeur, she knew exactly where my mother was from based on me telling her my name. So I told her my name was Paul Kowal, and she said, and, and, and very much in, in the Maya Angelou kind of way mm-hmm. with that aura that you would kind of expect her to have. She said, where is your name from? Mm-hmm. And then she said, she said, your name is, is Swana or Sotu. You speak Sotu in this deep, just lovely tone that is just unmistakable and so unique to this woman. Yeah. She said your your mother is from Joburg, one of the one of the townships. And she enunciates and articulates with everything she says. Yeah. So so it, it's just it's just even the smallest word she speaks to you has such a profound impact on you. So I did the audition and I don't even know how I kept my head on straight. And then she asks if my mother is in the waiting room. And then I said, of course she is. I said, what do you want me to do? She says, go get your mother and bring her in here. I went to get my mother and brought my mother into the audition room. The moment my mother laid her eyes on this woman, she hit the floor, got on her knees and started bowing to Maya Angelou. Wow. That is literally my mother's reaction when we went into that room. <laughs> it, it is like, it, I, I'll never forget those kind of experiences. Mm. I get to set probably, I think I've been on set maybe a few days. And I'm surrounded by, I'm being directed by Maya Angelou. This is on my first project ever. I'm being directed by Maya Angelou. Uh, Alfre Woodard plays my mother. Uh, Mary Alice plays my grandmother. Mary Alice was was the oracle in the Matrix when they changed the lady when when they recast mm-hmm. okay. the lady, and she was also in the original season of A Different World. Wow! She she ran the dormitory. Crazy. So then you have Al Freeman Jr. playing my uncle. He played Bishop Elijah Muhammad in the Malcolm X film. You have Esther Roll playing my aunt. Esther Roll plays Florida Evans in Good Times. Whoa. You have you have Wesley Snipes playing my cousin in the movie. You had Anne Marie Johnson who starred on In the Heat of the Night. 
for many years playing. It, it, it's just like I'm surrounded by everyone. Plus, right. Loretta Devine was in the movie as well. Oh my gosh! Wow. So that's my first go. So I don't know where I am. I don't know the scale of what I'm dealing with. And so Maya greets me one day. I'm walking past her on set. I'm 14 years old. I'm just I, I'm playing baseball at the time. I'm a baseball kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. I walk by her. She greets me. And I very sleepily kind of say hi and kind of go on my way. She was not feeling that. <laughs> she was not feeling that. She stopped everything on set. Literally stopped, stopped the tape, stopped everything. Stop, give me, stop. She grabbed my hand. And she said, Umpo, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yes, of course. She said, well, when somebody greets you, you say good morning. Hmm. And that's when I learned. Mm. Respect your elders. Right? In that moment, I learned. I don't know if everyone is, you're probably familiar with um, the video that's been circulating on Twitter of Maya Angelou checking the young lady that yes. was asking her questions in uh -huh. that interview. Yes. I, I, I need to clarify very quickly. Maya Angelou is nothing close to how they tried to portray her mm. in that post. She is as graceful as as you would think or you have heard of her to be. Mm -hmm. The mythology is true. This is one of the great leaders, one of the great black people ever. I didn't say black woman, I said black people ever. Mm -hmm. Because that is that is her importance to us. She taught me not only what what I needed to learn in that moment, but what she has taught me, I have carried with me mm. on every film set I've been on. That's beautiful. Into every interaction I've ever had with anyone. Wow. So it, yeah, so that's the extent of 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 how she's impacted me. Yeah. And for for those for those who who don't know, um, the the name of that film was Down in the Delta. Really? Yes, yes, sir, yes, right. sir. And Down that, that came out what like ninety seven, ninety eight. It, it was released in nineteen ninety eight. Okay. It was it was it was funny. It was it was a Showtime production. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows what Showtime is. Yep. They, they have these and Merrow and, and Dexter and all these wonderful shows. Shot in Toronto is a Showtime production. Dufferin Gate Productions, which doesn't exist in Toronto anymore. Crazy. That was that was sort of a renaissance mm. that time. I remember when we were doing that film and 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 a few films after that. That was a bit of a renaissance, so to speak. That was a that was a a forgotten era of of a lot of people having a lot of many opportunities, especially yeah. there were many black opportunities in those days yeah, as well. Absolutely, and and you know, like from that being like your introduction into the film world. I mean, you've done so many different films from like, you know, Four Brothers to um, Get Rich or Die Trying with 50 Cent. You know, um, I, I'm interested to know like your experience as, as, a, as a black actor in Canada and navigating that space, you know, um, and what that, that looks like. Um, I appreciate the question, brother. Um, I'm just, I'm glad that you mentioned Four Brothers. Um, I feel like we got to shout out John Singleton real quick. And, yes. And, 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 you know, that was really tough for me, man, getting that news the other day about John. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't know if it was appropriate to tell this story or not, but I think it is appropriate to tell this story. Um, 
I told my mother for the first time the other day something that I, I've kept to myself for many years. Um, John, I'm so fortunate to have been cast by John Singleton. Um, this is something that I didn't even realize the scale of until many years later. So it, it, just immensely thankful to have stood before the man and, and been given such an opportunity. Um, he gave me a hard time mm. when we were on set. Um, and, and I don't say that negatively to put him down or, or to speak illly of the man. Um, I, I wasn't the actor that I am now. Mm. I, I wasn't. I wasn't as experienced. I wasn't as as sharp as as I as I become. Um, I was always good, and I feel as though that's why he cast me. But in no way was I the actor that I am now, having the awareness that I do. And my Canadian accent would crack a bit within the portrayal of the role mm. in the movie. Mm. And he would scold me for that. He would scold me for that. And that, that really hurt me. Mm. Um, he, did, he, he would scold me in front of everyone. Um, that, that was tough. That was really tough. But, but I, I know he just wanted the best mm. for me. Right. And I know he just wanted the best for me. And he didn't take away my opportunity. He didn't fire me or anything like this for not getting it right. But but it was pretty embarrassing. I I, I, I can't lie. I was very embarrassed, actually. Mm -hmm. And it was very lonely a space to be in because I dream of being in that space. I dream of those opportunities. I've been dreaming of those opportunities since I was a young man. And then to experience that, and then to be directed by the greatness yes. of mm -hmm. black director yeah. that John is, the way he changed Hollywood's perception of us mm -hmm. through Boys in the Hood and his storytelling, higher learning. Mm -hmm. This Big man deal. changed the perception of, of the way we're viewed. So to, so, so to stand before this man and be directed by him was... was was one of the greatest experiences. But I, I just, I'll never forget that that's how it went. Yeah. You know, so, and I don't even feel good telling this story, but it gives me a form of catharsis mm -hmm. telling this story because I value what John Singleton is so much to not only the film community, but to the black community. Right. And the way he is influenced I can, I can walk you through the filmmakers John has influenced, from Ava DuVernay. Mm. To, I, I'm serious, man, because Ava's from uh, the greater Los Angeles area. She's from, I'm not sure if it's Compton or Watts or Inglewood or something like that, but, but all of these filmmakers were young watching John give us these stories. So he influenced an entire generation of black storytellers. I'll even go further and say some white storytellers that, that, that were fans of his work and, and, and as well that understood. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm thankful for these opportunities at the end of the day, but I always, I just want people to know that that, that wasn't the most perfect experience for me. Hmm. Right. So, so navigating through those worlds, navigating through like, your blackness, Especially as a black Canadian, yeah, being a black Canadian in those spaces. What are like coping mechanisms? What are things that you do to ground yourself? I think it starts from support system, right? I think it really starts from the people 
that give a damn about you. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the real ones, whether they're mothers, spousal, children. You, you know, my mother and the friends that I'm fortunate to have, I, I just, I, it, it can be very difficult sometimes. But I'm able to call my mother and have conversations about things. I have many conversations with Logic. Mm-hmm. Me, me and Logic is that like a lot of times I call Logic to vent about stuff that like I just I really can't go anywhere else with like I can't call my agent like no disrespect to my agent who's done so much for me I can't call my Jewish agent and, and say certain things to him he just he just doesn't get it he just doesn't understand right I'm fortunate I'm fortunate to have black representation in Los Angeles in an agency called Buckwald, Don Buckwald and Associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Carr is is my agent there. He's a black man. So I'm so fortunate to have found this representation there in terms of having a space to go to in times of need. So when, when I'm struggling with whatever it is, I can call Mike and, and he understands what I'm going through a lot of the time. So there's not really an, an explanation period to most of it. Most of it is, okay, this happened. He's like, no, nah, I know. And there's, there's really not much we can really ever do about it, you know? Gotcha. Indeed, indeed. But, in, but in, terms of, in terms of Logic's original question and, and also part, part of what you're saying, being a black Canadian, that experience slapped me in the face dealing with John on this film. Mm. Because this black person was accepting me, but then calling me out for not fitting a level of blackness that he was and that he wanted to portray in his movie. Right. So, so that's something that I deal with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the American black actors that I know that I'm friends with, I won't, I won't start listening to them all, <laughs> but there's a ridicule towards the my blackness or the lack thereof that doesn't conflate or meet with whatever theirs exists in the claim that their blackness exists in and then on the flip side as a black Canadian my South African contingency mm. judges me from a place of not being African enough right. for their liking so it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll just, I'll be honest. No, I, it coming, really sucks. Coming from the U.S. and coming here in Canada, I definitely, I definitely can understand what you're saying and navigating your way through both spaces. And even the way I viewed Black Canadians, like there's this innate perception of how Blackness is supposed to be viewed is viewed in the U.S. So when I came here, I, I, like my perception of Black folks here was like you guys are whitewashed, right? And in my growth and in my quest for knowledge, I came to understand that blackness is not monolithic. And just because, you know, I grew up around a certain kind of uh, black person or my understanding of what my blackness was um, also enabled me to understand how blackness is viewed externally and how that's embedded in our own bias 
right? And how we have to understand that, you know, intellect and culture are are can coincide. They can coincide. Mm. My my own mother. I actually wanted to speak on this as well because mm. black people can go through trauma. The oppression of black people that that we have experienced forever mm. can develop into a Stockholm syndrome like appendage mm. to where you have been oppressed for so long and been by yourself experiencing this oppression that you're so tired of being stepped on that you just want to mix in and blend in a little bit more than you do. Mm. It's normalized. It's normalized. Mm -hmm. And my mother expressed this to me and has, has inadvertently shown me that she is stuck in this line of thinking. Mm. She's not purposely trying to show me this, but I'm explaining the Stockholm-like syndrome that black people can experience, the PTSD mm. that this oppression can, can put people through. Mm -hmm. To where I articulate, to where my mother, I was wearing a baseball cap, a baseball cap similar to the ones that Tiger Woods wears, mm -hmm. you know the the fitted, stretchable right. ones with the curved with the curved brim. Yeah, the dad hat. Right, as opposed to no, not a dad hat specifically, but <laughs> the stretchable fitted yeah. hat, and then and then the snapbacks that I normally wear, the baseball snapbacks okay. with the flat brim right. that we as black people have have crafted into our own style. Right. She saw me wearing that baseball hat that looked like Tiger Woods. And she smiled and said, you know, I like this kind of hat on you more. That's how you're supposed to look, mm -hmm. is what my mother said to me. Mm -hmm. I looked at my mother and, and I sighed. I didn't call her out on what she said because I love her too much. But that gave me evidence into the damage that has been done to her mm -hmm. over the years of this oppression to where she would spew that to me. She is not saying anything negative to me. She is telling me she doesn't want me to have to go through what I go through every day. It's true. Like, even with my father and his vast knowledge of, like, black culture, and he, he's the, the one who gave me my beginnings and my knowledge of my blackness. Like, when I started to wear my hair in an afro, the first few times he'd ask me, he's like, what, what's going on with your hair? You know? And I... And there was so many layers embedded in it that I, I haven't really had to have a, I haven't really gotten a chance to have a conversation with him uh, regarding that too. But I know where 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 that came from as well too because you know our hair is very political in itself and it's seen as like you know a rebellious act to have your your hair out. So everything we do is viewed as political, including like black love, uh, you know, wearing our hair out to. You know, wearing a hoodie is political. Like, you, you see what you're talking about when you said black love? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm speaking to this trauma that my mother showed me that, she, that she's caught in. Mm -hmm. I told my mother the other day, I said, mother, I said, I want to I marry a black woman. Mm -hmm. I said, I want to have children with a black woman. I said, I have nothing against the white women that I've been enjoying my time with that have been good to me. I said, I have nothing against this. I said, I have many friends that have beautiful relationships with white women, that have had beautiful children, that have in loving, loving relationships. We can't live in such an archaic place mm. to think that way. But I was telling my mother, for me, 
that is what I would want. Mm-hmm. And then I said, Mother, where are all the black women? And my mother, who has escaped the peak of apartheid-riddled South Africa, mm-hmm. said to me that there are no good black women left. Well, I'm supposed to meet your mom soon, so... <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, but, but, Queen, but, Queen, this is, again, not me slighting my mother for these right. comments. No, no. I'm aware of... See, to say I'm aware is unfair. I, I was beginning to see the trauma right. that she has endured uh-huh. through these comments. A hundred percent. Do you understand? Because I told my mother, I said, look, we've, we've been butting heads on this subject recently. Mm-hmm. My mother told me a story about, you know, Logic, do you know, you know the barbershop just south of DuPont on Bathurst there, Carl's? Okay, yeah. My mother told me a story about how Carl married a white woman back in the day, and she helped him grow his business. She was the reason that he was able to grow his business to the place that he did today. So my mother was presenting this to me in terms of a don't be afraid of certain things type of type of explanation, which I thought was very helpful. She explained to me that if I lived in such a in such a box to where I didn't feel that I could have a relationship with this type of person or this type of person. That we may, she told me, she's basically saying that I may not ever achieve what I am supposed to. Now, this is where I had problems with what she was saying. Because I can understand the lessons that she's trying to give me in terms of don't be so close-minded. But then at the same time, I don't know if I agreed with what she was saying. Mm -hmm. Because basically she was telling me that she was, she, without saying it was the only way, she was saying the best chance for me to live comfortably going forward, becoming an older man, was to befriend this white woman that could help me financially. Hmm. She was saying that without saying that. Right. And, and you know that's something that's like embedded in like cultures because of colonization. It's like white this is my point. seen as like this thing to achieve even within our own blackness it's like we gotta try to get this proximity to whiteness if we want to be successful right exactly yeah so another another extension of what my mother was saying and another extension of the trauma it goes to the stories that my mother would tell me uh of the of the friendships that she had with this specific group of white women my mother didn't have many black friends. She had my godmother, Cynthia, but she pretty much befriended this group of white women that I've known today for many years. One of these women is my niece and my nephew's godparent. Her name is Karen. And I stayed with Karen a few years back in Vancouver when she was living out there. And long story short, this woman has pictures of me on, on her dresser from when I'm a little young boy hanging in her house. Yeah, I bet she gets Basic, questions about that. Basically, <laughs> I can imagine, right? Basic, basically, she was she overreacted to a situation and asked me to find another place to stay. Wow. So I left that same night, mm. and I have not spoken to her since because of her actions. Mm. Now, this same woman 
has put my mother through an inordinate amount of judgment and trauma over the years. I know this because my mother's told me story after story after story after story of Karen and Teresa and Jackie being jealous of her when she would get attention in the places that they would go together. They would go places together and all of these men would come and surround my mother. And these women would be, these are married women. Let me be clear. They would become jealous of my mother. Mm. The attention that she would get. And she would tell me the stories of the way they would always put her down. Mm. My mother is still friends with these women. I need to be clear about that. She's still friends with these women. And I had this conversation about her. I said to her, I said, don't you find it strange that I've walked away from Karen? And you haven't yet, considering all the stories you've told me. So therein lies the trauma mm. that we endure. And you know that there, all that all that shit's perpetuated in these movies too. Like it's like you know the the black folks <laughs> we end up meeting. You know the racist white person, and then through forgiveness we're able to maintain relationships with these racist white folks. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> you know. I, I made a point to a young person the other day was speaking with them. This, the old guard, so the old way of thinking, mm-hmm. that mentality has to die out mm-hmm. before we can progress. Well, you know, we're nearing the end of the interview. So in true Black Don't Crack fashion, we like to leave our interviews with words of wisdom, you know, Something that you can leave for the audience, for us to like build resilience or, you know, that could help them in their career, um, in the arts Mm -hmm. specifically, or just life in general. Firstly, thank you so much for having me on on the show today. I really appreciate this forum to be able to have these kind of discussions. It's something that is so vital. Mm-hmm. And so necessary for our community. And I love that you guys are facilitating something like this for us. So thank you. Thank You're you. You're welcome, bro. The, the, what I would say to people, um, I'm always looking for words of encouragement or things to use to get better, things to use to help endure the, through the struggles. What I learned is, And I continue to learn every day. So that's something I would tell people. Learning is something that I do every day. I value it and I continue to do it. Mm. But I would tell people that everything happens for a reason. Right. You may not, you may not have the answer or the reason why things happen, but things don't always happen for the negative reasons that we think they do to, to hurt us or to defeat us. Right. Sometimes the greatest lessons come from the most difficult situations that we go through. Right. You said it lessons, right? You know, lessons. So if, as long as you're open to learning, as long as you're aware that you don't even close to know everything, mm-hmm. I think you'll be in good shape. Before we dip, I just want to shout out this episode's featured business. Buy Blacks is a bold, award-winning, innovative online magazine serving the Black Canadian community. Make sure you go check out buyblacks.com. Well, make sure you follow us at Black Don't Crack TO and make sure you let us know what you think. 
Once again, a big special shout out, man, for our guest, Umpo Kowaho, man, for blessing us. And I also got to give another shout out, man, to Toronto's finest, a legend out here, Rochester, man, for blessing us with our theme music, Black Don't Crack. And that concludes our first episode. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Better than I've ever been. Blessed like a reverence. Step to the regiment. Weakness on my seven that shit. You would think that I jumped to the Lazarus pit. I came through like racial go. Three light times and I still make moves. Demons in my head, but I roll with angels. And I party in Toronto like I'm in Cancun. I'm blazing the trail. Age like Pharrell and I'm coolest than Zell. Chill. Life is surreal. Everyone fails. Don't let that prevail. Wake up the dead like an extra and thriller. Either you raise a bar or you a pillar. Don't always hold it together, but trust me, you never gon' see us buckle under pressure. Black don't crack. Black don't crack. Black don't crack. Black don't crack. Been through the most of the Solid. Put us in chain up a chain. Solid. Took that pain that we made. Solid. Never gon' end you stay. Poppin' like We stand solid. Put us in chain, up a chain. Took that pain that we made. Never gonna end you. Black dope, crack.